Today's installment of CU Anschutz 360 focuses on the mysterious and debilitating condition known as Down Syndrome Regression Disorder. DSRD is a severe neurological condition with symptoms such as loss of speech, inability to perform activities of daily life, hallucinations, delusions, and insomnia. Scientists and physicians at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus and Children's Hospital Los Angeles are teaming up on a first-of-its-kind holistic investigation into the causes and potential treatments for DSRD. Our guests are Joaquin Espinoza, Executive Director of the Linda Cernick Institute for Down Syndrome and one of the study's team leaders, and Linda Roan, whose daughter Maya has suffered from DSRD for nine years. Co-hosting our discussion are Dr. Thomas Flagg, CU Anschutz Vice Chancellor of Research, and Chris Casey, Director of Digital Storytelling in the Office of Communications. Uh, my name is Chris Casey, and I'm the Director of Digital Storytelling in the Office of Communications here at CU Anschutz. Welcome, everybody. And I'm Tom Flagg, and the Vice Chancellor for Research here at the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm uh, Joaquin Espinosa, the Executive Director of the Linda Cernick Institute for Down Syndrome here at the University of Colorado. Hi, I'm Linda Roan, and I'm the parent of Maya, who suffers from this condition we're going to be talking about today. Well, again, thank you, everybody, for um, arising super early on a Halloween morning to talk about this important topic. Tom, would you like to ask the first question? Absolutely. And I, I just say I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. This is an emerging topic, uh, which a lot of people are talking about, and there's some great work being done here at, uh, in Colorado on this. So just to kick things off, just a broad question. So what is Down syndrome regression disorder, and how can it affect anyone with Down syndrome? Thanks, Tom, uh, for the question. Down syndrome regression disorder, or DSRD as we refer to it, is a rare but devastating condition that affects some people with Down syndrome, where they basically crash. They lose a lot of their activities that they worked so hard to gain. They may lose speech, they, they may lose the ability to perform activities of daily living, like you know, dressing themselves or feeding themselves. Their sleep may get very dysregulated, they may lose sleep. It may get even worse than that, they may get hallucinations, uh, depersonalization, something that may look to you like a, a case of schizophrenia and so on and so forth. It used to be called other things in the past, you know, uh, developmental regression, disintegrative disorder. More recently, the field has agreed that the better name is Down syndrome regression disorder. And it remains a diagnosis uh, of exclusion, meaning uh, you do a workup, Tom, and you realize that it cannot be that, it cannot be this, most likely is Down syndrome regression disorder. It can affect anyone with Down syndrome, but in order to be able to diagnose it properly, we are talking about the age range between late childhood, say, 8 to 10 years old, before a potential onset of Alzheimer's, say, 30 to 40 years old. So in that range, say, 8 years old to 40 years old, we can diagnose it with confidence. Beyond 40 years old, Tom, you know that people with Down syndrome, unfortunately, are highly predisposed to Alzheimer's disease. So we have to make sure that we don't confound those two conditions. Something that is very distinctive of Down syndrome regression disorder is the acute onset. It happens very fast, which early onset Alzheimer's disease, you know, it takes longer to take place. So it might be true to say that this has been recognized by caregivers, by patients for a, for a long period of time, but maybe in the last little bit of time, researchers, clinicians have sort of defined it more clearly, given it a, a proper title. We have a better understanding. That is correct. 
Tom, you had to realize this is the first time in history that we have a sizable population of adults with Down syndrome that are receiving proper medical care. So for the first time in history, we are learning about the natural history of Down syndrome and learning about all the co-occurring conditions that are affecting them. 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have the opportunity to recognize Down syndrome regression disorder. Now, as you just mentioned, this was out there in the community. Parents like Linda talked about it among themselves, engaged some professionals about it, but only now we have enough critical mass, enough uh, people studying Down syndrome to be able to recognize that this is a unique clinical entity. Linda, could you explain your experience then with Down syndrome regression disorder and your daughter, Maya? When did you first notice her changing? As, as Joaquin mentioned, there's like a crash almost. Yes, definitely. So Maya was a very happy, uh, young, early 20-something, world by the tail, actually taking some college classes. And we noticed that she started talking to herself a lot. Now, that's very common in Down syndrome. She'd talked to herself for years, but this had a different quality to it. It was very internal. And then we noticed the same phrases were being said all the time, and she didn't really want to engage with the family. She didn't want to engage with friends, became more and more internal. And then that talking became hallucinations. And she stopped sleeping. I'm, and when I say she stopped sleeping, I literally mean maybe one hour a night she'd get. Her father would stay up at night and, and rock her. We'd take turns. It was brutal. And we ended up very thankfully and luckily at the C Center for Down Syndrome here at Children's Hospital. And we started to get some help here. But we didn't, they didn't know really what it was, and it, she just got worse and worse. And so for about 18 months, it was bad. It was really, I, I can't really even put the words on what that's like for a family to have your kid just, they're gone. She was gone. But then she came back, and she was really good, almost to her old self. I'd say 95% there. And then six months after that, she crashed again in one day. Boom, hallucinations were back. So we've had that cycle. She's, this is nine years. We've had that cycle several times. But because of the work that's being done with the Cernic Center, UCLA, her crashes aren't like before at all. Maybe to build on something Joaquin had commented on, when you first start dealing with this, I suppose the medical field maybe didn't have the sophistication around thinking about this, uh, that initial, those initial visits. That, that's correct. I mean, they had seen it. Um, they, they knew it was a thing. It, it meant so much to me when my psychiatrist at uh, Children's Hospital here said, no, Linda, this is a thing. We don't understand it completely, but it's a thing. But as time goes on, we ended up, uh, because at the time, now it's different here, but at Anschutz at the time, there wasn't a neuro neurologist who actually studied this. So we ended up going to UCLA and met with a Dr. Santoro there, who's now part of this research study with Dr. Espinoza. And that kind of got us on a different track with it. We could talk a little bit about uh, what we know about this, maybe more on the, on the medical or the developmental side. So what are the causes of this syndrome and disorder? We don't know, Tom, and that is part of this study that we're about to start funded by the National Institutes of Health. We know that it has an acute onset, 
There's some data that is coming out soon in a publication we're working on suggesting that there are certain, some specific triggers, stressful events, potentially immune triggers. But we don't know exactly what, what, what's going on. However, because of a small amount of evidence about medicines that may be helping here in regression, which we will test very thoroughly in this study, we think there could be a, a very important component of the immune system in the onset of Down syndrome regression disorder. So the short answer, Tom, is we don't know what causes it. We have some hypotheses that will be tested soon. And Joaquin, you mentioned treatments that'll be looked at. Could you expound on that a bit? What these treatments will target? They'll target kind of different areas? Correct. Historically, Down syndrome regression disorder has been treated with psychiatric medicines, trying to affect brain chemistry, brain function, hoping to attenuate or counteract some of the symptoms. But in the last 10 years or so, there's been more and more evidence supporting this idea that there may, may be an immune component. Something important to note about the clinical trial is that all three medicines that we will be testing have helped some people with Down syndrome regression disorder. But at this point, we don't know who is going to benefit from which medicine. So in the trial, we're going to take the three medicines, a psychiatric medicine, a benzodiazepine, and two immune therapies, and compare them side by side with a very rigorous protocol to see who could benefit from which medicine. Hopefully, that, that will lead to better medical care for Down syndrome regression disorder in the future. So that sounds fantastic. Well, a well-described uh, clinical trial of multiple arms looking at different mechanisms. So maybe I'll ask Linda to just comment. So it sounds like these are some medications that you've seen from your caregiver role, and now they're being uh, enrolled in a clinical trial. And I don't know if, if you've been enrolled in a clinical trial with, with your child or not, if you want to talk about that experience. Yes. Um, Maya was enrolled in the skin disorder trial that the Cernic Center did. And, and she does have a skin disorder, so she was a legitimate candidate. But in the back of my mind, the reason I wanted her in the trial was to see if it would help her brain. And in fact, it did. I mean, she's not had a major regression. Um, you know, as I said before, this is very cyclical, like think rheumatoid arthritis, you know, flares. She hasn't had a major flare um, since starting, and she has had some little blips, but it's not the feed her by hand, put her on independence. It's none of that. So we're thrilled. So I see a real progression here then from some basic understandings of the mechanism to trying some drugs in different settings to now converging in a formal clinical trial to look at these, these different entities and better understand. Absolutely, Tom. This is a great example of a successful story of translating a basic discovery into clinical trials that are helping some of the participants like uh, Maya in this case. The basic discovery about the aspect of the immune system that is fully dysregulating Down syndrome. We call it the interferon response. That was published, Tom, in 2016, not that long ago. In 2020, four years later, we started to recruit participants into the clinical trial for the autoimmune skin conditions based on that discovery. The first batch of participants in that first clinical trial taught us things, like in the case of Maya, that now lead to a second clinical trial. And it's only been, what, six years, seven years? So um, you see how basic science, you know, fits clinical trials. Then if you do those uh, clinical trials in a research-intensive fashion, 
they give you the data and the ideas to then follow up with another trial, perhaps comparing medicines of going after a different co-occurring condition. Do you want to comment just to think about the the scope and the impact of of this disorder? So, how many how many patients have this disorder? Uh, what's the percentage of perhaps Down syndrome individuals that experience this? We don't have good data, Tom. Today we think it may be in the single digits, but again, we don't have good epidemiology in Down syndrome. We need to study more. I always like to say my trainees that in biology and, the, and medicine, everything is on a spectrum. You know, we like to think of these dual categories with or without regression, I'd rather think about the possibility that there are this range of potential regression episodes out there. Some of them may be unnoticed. They may not be so uh, obvious as the case that Linda was describing. So the answer is we don't know, but I, I remain open-minded, you know, that good epidemiology may reveal that this is more common that we are currently appreciating. It seems like you hear occasionally of inflammation of the brain disorders and how severe they they are. Is there any chance, Joaquin, that your study here could perhaps inform treatments or just different ways of looking at the problem of, you know, when the immune system kind of attacks the brain? Absolutely, Chris. This this is your you're right on target. If we had to place Down syndrome regression disorder somewhere out there in the in the literature of the conditions affecting the general population, things that come to mind are autoimmune encephalitis, for example. A condition where the immune system starts attacking the brain, it's making antibodies that target proteins in the brain. But now, you know, we are, we are I guess, in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are realizing that there are many neurological aspects of too much immune activity. And in the case of long COVID, Many cases of long COVID have a neurological involvement, you know, brain fog or, or even worse than that. So, so the answer is yes. We, we believe very strongly that if we study Down syndrome regression disorder, we'll be able to understand a lot more about how a hyperactive or dysregulated immune system may attack the brain and, or impair brain function in the general population, not, not just in Down syndrome. So as you think about the developments or kind of basic understanding of this disorder, this inflammatory uh, overlay, uh, what kind of basic work is being done in this area now to better understand it, and how might that inform future clinical investigations, this sort of thing? Great. Thank you, Tom. So there's a portfolio of uh, what we could call basic science studies around um, this phenomenon, all the way from animal models. We have mouse models of Down syndrome, and now Dr. Michael Yeager at the Cernic Institute is developing a rat model of Down syndrome. So we can study some of these aspects there. These models, the mouse models of Down syndrome, display hypersensitivity to immune stimulation. So if you trickle the immune system with vital mimetics or something that looks like a virus, they get very sick. They don't tolerate it. Of course, the mouse models of Down syndrome have cognitive impairments and other neurological phenotypes. But we are also doing a lot of basic science studies with biospecimens that we obtain from people with Down syndrome with and without regression. And we use those biospecimens to do a deep, deep study of the immune system and immune dysregulation. This is done through the Human Trison Project and a study that you are familiar with that we have here at the University of Colorado, one of the largest, deepest studies of Down syndrome out there. And I can share already with you that when we look at the 
cerebrospinal fluid of individuals with Down syndrome regression disorder. And when we look at the inflammatory markers uh, in that cerebrospinal fluid, they look a lot, Chris, like inflammatory conditions affecting the brain in the general population, things like autoimmune encephalitis, multiple sclerosis, so on and so forth. So I think the, the evidence keeps on growing on this idea that uh, the immune system may be involved and attacking the brain somehow as one of the underlying causes of Down syndrome regression disorder. It's a really good example of this back and forth, this bench to bedside and and back to the bench. So those correlatives, patients on the clinical trials, samples will be collected, and then going back into the laboratory for additional investigations to be used with the models and so forth. That's a, that's a great model. Absolutely. We are great believers of research-intensive clinical trials. Of course, the main intent of the clinical trial is to test the medicine, to monitor the safety and the, and the efficacy, but it is a golden opportunity, Tom, when families with beloved ones with Down syndrome, when they come forth and they say, yes, we want to participate in research, you treat that as the most sacred moment in the, in the enterprise. You, know, you make sure that that blood biospecimen, that that electronic health record, that that cerebrospinal fluid is treated you know, as the precious entity that, that it is, and you extract all the information so that their visit, their contribution to the research has uh, big dividends, pays big dividends. It's important to say that because I, I, you know, we do, I've done work in, in my career too with samples and those are so precious to gather those clinical specimens, how much patients offering that, uh, that gift really that we can study things. And uh, it's important we say that out loud, that they're a very precious uh, part of our research thing and we, we cherish those, uh, those samples. I might add, um, you know, for me, when I think about my family situation and my daughter nine years ago, and this wasn't going on, Dr. Espinosa just spoke about how much has happened in such a short period of time. And when I think now about families that are beginning the journey with this, this is just starting, and what's out there for them, that there are people to go to, there are trials to get in, it, it just warms my heart. It would have made all the difference for my family nine years ago. And I guess it's important to mention that Maya will not be taking part in the current study that no, Dr. No. Espinosa mentioned. Um, I'd like to ask you another question, um, Linda, and Joaquin, certainly you can jump in as well. Uh, we're only about two weeks away from a big event that happens every year as a benefit for Down syndrome research here in Denver that's called the Be Beautiful, Be Yourself Fashion Show. I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Can you just speak, uh, Linda, as to how important that is as an event to helping just bring awareness to Down syndrome, awareness to research, and also, you know, raise money to keep the research robust and going? Well, it's, it is the event. It's a lot of fun. It's something. But I think what, what we have here in Denver is, I mean, this is the, the apex of research for Down syndrome goes on here. And Global, um, the, the foundation that's kind of behind it all, Global, they, that, that's the first word for a reason, because this is a global thing. So this event helps fund research and medical care for people with Down syndrome around the world, and there's nothing else like it. Let's just second that, Chris. We cannot say enough good things about the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, which is a partner 
of the Rindasunic Institute for Down Syndrome and the C Center, we work together as a network of affiliate organizations and they fund our work uh, very generously. And we wouldn't be having this conversation today. We wouldn't be having these clinical trials if it weren't not only for the philanthropic support of the Global Down Syndrome Foundation here at the Sunic Institute, but also their amazing advocacy work in Washington, D.C. that has led to the creation of the NIH Include project that has quadrupled the investment of NIH in Down syndrome. And it is the NIH Include project that is now funding this clinical trial that we are discussing this morning. So big kudos and, and a lot of gratitude to the Global Down Syndrome Foundation. Well, I just build those comments. I'm, Linda, I'm glad you brought that up because as you, as you look at the research being done around Down syndrome, I would say that the work being done here by the Linda Cernick Institute and the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, it, there seems to be just this, this uh, tremendous amount of work being done here. And it, I would say that the work being done here is sort of recognized uh, globally. So what is it, the partnership between the academics and the philanthropy with the patient advocacy involvement? What's sort of the, the special part of, that's come together here to make such great success? You got it, Tom. Is the multiple legs of the stool, you know, is, is the, the synergy and the, the collaboration between what is the, one of the largest advocacy organizations in the space, the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, what is now the largest academic center for Down syndrome research in the world, the Sydney Institute, and then the clinic, the C Center uh, for Down Syndrome at Children's Hospital, Colorado. So when the three parties work together, and we have other affiliates like the Alzheimer's and Cognition Center and an adult clinic at Denver Health, when everybody comes to the table and collaborates and works together, you know, the sky is the limit. To come back to the example of the research, you know, the Global Down Syndrome Foundation brings us in front of the community where we learn about what's happening in the community. But they also vouch for our studies. You know, we, we, if you will, gain trust from the community in our studies, something that for us, you know, in the ivory tower town would be difficult to do. But the reverse is also true. The Global Down Syndrome Foundation brings us, the scientists, to Washington, D.C., so that we can explain the science to the members of Congress, so that we can work with our colleagues on NIH, on educating the entire enterprise about what we see. So it's not one thing, it's, it's a labor of love, a lot of work, but I would say collaboration, here's the key word. I mean, I love the word collaboration. And, you know, Joaquin, we talk about that in the science side. We think about basic scientists, clinical scientists, population scientists working together. And the special part of this, and why I think there's such great impact, you've got the research community, the philanthropy community, the patient advocacy community all coming together, even to make those national changes you're talking about. And I think it's, it's just a really special thing. I, I agree. I think you, what you are naming here is that the Sydney Institute has disrupted uh, potential academic silos. You know, we don't think dualistic, in dualistic terms of basic science or clinical research. We, we are here to serve people with Down syndrome and we do whatever it takes towards that end. And if we need to do a strong basic science, we do it. If we need to partner with strong clinical researchers, we do it. We just don't box ourselves you know, into one silo. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, and um, I appreciate everybody's uh, thoughts on this very important topic. And it's exciting to hear about this very significant clinical trial underway here at our, on our campus, uh, being led by Joaquin and his team. And Linda, thank you so much. Do you have any more final thoughts about what you're hopeful for with Maya and where she's at these days? And could you just, again, just tell us where she is? Maya's doing well now. You know, she's had this for nine years. So um, she's not the person that she was 
in the beginning, but she's happy. She's healthy. She has a job. You know, she's today's Halloween. She's excited about Halloween. She's going to be passing out candy on Pearl Street Mall in Boulder. So, you know, it's good. It's good. And my wish is that the progress that's been made in the last 10 years, that same percentage of progress can continue in the next 10 so that in another 10, this like these questions really won't be questions. They'll be answers. And that is exciting. Before we go, Chris, I, I want to make sure that I, that I name some key protagonists in this enterprise. You know, this is a clinical trial that will be funded by the Eunice Kennedy Schreiber National Institute for Child Health and Human Development, what we call NICHD. And there's three principal investigators in the trial. I'm the contact principal investigator, but I'm, I'm blessed to be working side by side with Dr. Elise Sanar, psychiatrist here in the Department of Psychiatry. Uh, also working at Children's Hospital Colorado, and Dr. John Santoro at Children's Hospital LA. And the, we have a wonderful team of collaborators, Dr. Angela Rajubinsky, Lina Patel, Ryan Kammeyer, Jesse Sanders. It takes a village, Tom and Chris, to do one of these projects. So I'm very, very grateful for all the scientists and clinicians that have joined the team. I have a question. If I were a parent and I were listening to this and I was worried about my child or my young adult, what would I do to find out about getting in the trial? Thank you, Linda, for the question. You can reach out to us here at the Linda Cernick Institute for Down Syndrome. If you go to any web browser and you put cernickinstitute.org, Cernick is C-R-I-N-C, cernickinstitute.org, you will get to our page. You will find our contact information. Send us an email, uh, leave a voicemail, and we'll get back to you. Great. Thank you for asking that, Linda. That's very important. Thanks again, everybody, for this early Halloween morning discussion. Uh, Linda, Joaquin, Tom, thanks you very much. And everybody have a great week. Thank you, Chris. Thank, Thank you, Tom. You. Great to be here. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. CU Anschutz 360 is produced by the University of Colorado, Anschutz Medical Campus. Story editing and production by Chris Casey and Matt Hastings. Digital design by Sarah Adams and Jenny Merchant. A thanks to the rest of the Office of Communications team for support and edits. A special thanks to Denver Band Split Step for our theme music, featuring School of Medicine student Matt Golub, Class of 22, Daniel Carrillo, and Kevin McKinnon. We'd also like to thank our guests this week, Joaquin Espinoza, Linda Roan, and Thomas Flagg for co-hosting. You can read about the latest stories on our campus at news.cuanschutz.edu. This is CU Anschutz 360.